can't focus unless the gun is on the table. Nothing is normal or natural or everything is the game. I'm going to start a collection of puddings and coupons that can be redeemed for frequent fire miles. We have to get out of this building. They made soup out of my research toilet. See, this is the, the scene of the movie where you help me out. 1410 Tampa Bay with four minutes and 59 seconds left in the second quarter. Hello and welcome to West versus Paul versus Paul versus Predator. The only podcast that I'm aware of about Paul Thomas Anderson, Paul W.S. Anderson, and which one did I miss? Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson. The, one we're, the one we're talking about today. My name is Eric Anderson. And my name is Jeremy Schmidt Anderson. Hello. Yeah, Eric, it's, it's Paul Thomas Anderson, Paul Wes Anderson, and Wes Anderson. Right, right. <laughs> um, Jeremy, we are. Uh, hold on a second. I'm I'm closing out of. There we go. Okay, so uh, <laughs> what what are we doing right now? We're 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 talking uh, Wes Anderson. We jump around. If you're new to this podcast, I mean, I don't even know. I, I'm very curious, uh, uh, like how many people just jump in to a random episode. But you know, maybe there's some big Moonrise Kingdom heads out there. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I'll listen to random episodes of movie podcasts uh, about films that I like. So we are a uh, 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 podcast about the Andersons. We're kind of going chronologically and and going back and forth. And today is a Wes Anderson episode, Jeremy. And I guess we're like halfway, maybe, without looking at a list, I would say we're like halfway through (laughs) the Wes Andersons. How, How are you feeling at this point? Say that again? We're doing what with Wes Anderson? Are we like halfway through his filmography at this point? With, with Wes, we're almost done. So oh, okay. with, with Wes, we only have two left. Well, just, we have, oh, okay. Well, yeah. we do, there is that new one that's going to come out uh, next year. Or this yeah, year. right. Yeah. Well, I hope that's what I was going to, that's what I was hoping for is that like in the Monster Hunter way, I was hoping that one would come out while we were doing the show. I don't know if it will actually in time but we'll we'll cover it anyway it'll just probably be on a yeah. it might be on a little bit like when we're already into our next on to our next show but yeah I'll, we'll still con- uh cover the french dispatch we only have two left we have after this episode we have wow. grand budapest and the isle of dogs movie and then with paul thomas anderson we have uh, i believe only two left as well inherent vice and um, the Phantom Thread, and then with Paul W. S. Anderson, we have <laughs> infinity more episodes yeah, to go. <laughs> wow! Just dawning on me, live reaction of uh, the <laughs> the fact dawning on me that there's going to be a period of this podcast where we're just <laughs> doing W. S. Paul W. S. Anderson movies for I if I had to guess, probably like two months or something. He oh, has yeah. a, he's done a lot of movies. He's done um, a lot and yeah, we're we're about to jump back into the Resident Evil stuff, which will be you know, that'll be fine, and then, you know, I think a three musketeers movie, which I'm dreading, sure. and then the new Monster Hunter movie, which I'm which I'm kind of interested in seeing just because I'm curious, but uh you know. It's one of those things where, of course, the director who has done, I think the work with the least amount of depth has the most amount of content <laughs> out there. If that's not a good metaphor for how America right. works. <laughs> sure. 
then I you know, don't I think know. I'm most excited for the uh, Three Musketeers movie, mainly because how do you make a movie out of a candy bar? You know mm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All that nougat, too. This is not a good candy <laughs> bar, either. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... Uh, did you plug our Patreon? Because I think no. I think I think this would be a good we time. Uh, we have a very special episode this week that I'm that I can I can already tell you I'm very proud of. We cover the movie Gummo by Harmony Corrine uh, this week on the Patreon, and I gotta say, Eric, that movie, wow, <laughs> wow, um, wow, wow. I'm excited. I'm excited to talk to talk about Gummo. Uh, uh, it's a very uh man, I can't. I I almost I want to get into it right now, but I'm I know gonna, I'm gonna we're hold not back. Gonna, yeah, we'll hold but back. I I'm as a teaser. I almost texted you uh 15 minutes into watching Gummo because I hadn't seen it mm. since I was a teenager. Right. And I I'm not joking, and I felt I had like a text written out to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I was gonna tell you that I not only didn't want to do an episode on it, <laughs> but didn't want to watch <laughs> Gummo again. <laughs> I, I, I managed to pull myself out of it and managed to finish it, but it's yes. it, it, it'll be an interesting uh, an interesting episode. And um, if you want to hear that, that will be out by the time you're listening to this episode. So yes, patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. It should be it should prove to be a very interesting episode. I, I'm excited to talk about it with you. As, as you can tell, listeners, we have not talked about it yet. But yeah, that's uh that is a that is a film that again I had also watched it when I was a teen and upon revisiting again it was like it was like i was seeing it with new eyes for the first time or something like it was like how did i not remember all this like how did i how did this not traumatize me as a kid (laughs) i think i blocked it i think i I blocked a lot of it out yeah uh, um so very excited to get to get to that later on uh but today we are talking moonrise kingdom which is the uh oh what number is this the seventh movie by Wes Anderson, something like that. Probably. Yeah, it's a. Uh, it's we're back to live action Wes Anderson. We got a, a whole cast of characters here, and um, and I gotta say, Eric, you know, uh, revisiting Moonrise Kingdom was in a way less dramatic way than revisiting Gummo. Um, it was like, how did I not remember all this stuff? Like, I felt like I was also watching this movie for the first time. It was a little mm. like it was a little like I'd forgotten most of this stuff and and also like remembered it kind of feeling like a different kind of movie uh, until I watched it this time. Now I, I'm kind of like like I don't I don't remember it being this goofy or something. There's something about it where yes. I was like it's like it's pretty it's pretty silly. It's pretty goofy and it's like um, I remember it being a lot more serious and dark and it is kind of dark. But yeah, it's uh, very excited to get into this film as well. Had you had you seen Moonrise Kingdom before? Yeah, so I, I I feel like um you know I I I hate to like be this guy, but I I I I don't really like this movie. Mm. Um, and there's but I like sometimes I don't like a movie and I don't know why. There is like there's like two specific things that I don't like about it. One one is the um the the story the plot, um and we'll get into that. What I what bothers me about it yeah. when we're going through it. But the main thing for me is, and I talked about this on the fantastic Mr. Fox episode was, you know, I saw, I think my first Wes Anderson was, um, Royal Tenenbaums. 
And then I was a teenager watching like Bottle Rocket and Life Aquatic. And then I remember I was like 19 when, um, what's the, uh, Darjeeling Limited came out. Mm. And I loved all those movies. And then he goes off and does this like sort of mainstream like anim- like animated thing about a fox and everyone was telling me it was good but I kind of just wanted live action Wes Anderson <laughs> and mm. you know I finally saw it and it didn't live up to the hype for me and I was so excited to um finally get a, a live action Wes Anderson and one that's about what you know, from what the marketing was I thought it was going to be like a survival story basically of mm. these like kids running off of like a boy scout running off uh on his own and um there's so there's like after there after fantastic mr fox i there's i i can't think of a other a more like a better word to use than like there's our cartoonishness there's like a cartoonish element to wes anderson's two live action movies after that and I think it's done better and like fits better for me. Like it, 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 it doesn't take me out of the movie as much in Grand Budapest. Mm-hmm. But in this movie, I remember I went to see it like opening weekend at, um, I think it was a Sundance movie theater. And I was so excited. And it just started, like you were saying, it gets, it gets goofy in a way where um, it kind of like took me out of it and i kind of had this moment where i was like well now i guess this is like wes and what wes anderson does like it it's (laughs) there's there's like a i don't know there was like a shift for me and maybe part of it too is me just like change my taste was changing or something but i I don't i don't know if this makes sense but it, it it just i feel like with fantastic mr fox like on one hand he did something really cool and experimental for him and, and different. And he learned that he can do all these other things. And I, you know, I don't mind that he like, um, when I say cartoonish, there's like a specific moment in grand Budapest where, mm-hmm. um, there's like a sledding montage. Yeah. 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 It's like incredibly cartoonish, but that to me does not like take me out of that movie because that movie is like just the way it, works tonally it, it it just it just work that kind of thing like works better whereas in this movie it just does it just doesn't for me it just yeah. I, I, I it it just doesn't feel like reality to me and i i want it to feel more like reality but that's my main thing um so i saw this movie once opening weekend and i did have a pleasant experience rewatching it this time but it's still definitely not my favorite yeah, uh, I guess I'll kind of get into my history with it real quick. I, I I agree with you for the most part. I all this also is not one of my favorites. Uh, weirdly, I feel like this movie is celebrate. Maybe I'm wrong, and correct me if you think this is wrong. But I feel like this movie is actually for Wes Anderson celebrated more highly than some of his other films. Mm-hmm. Like I remember this film got a, an Academy Award nomination for best screenplay. And I don't think I don't think Wes Anderson usually gets Academy Award nods. Uh, I also think it was nominated for Best Picture, also. But um, this this movie also had a very small budget and made at the box office like seven times its its budget. 
it's like it was like pretty successful for Wes Anderson because as we as we as we've seen from um Wes Anderson and Paul Thomas Anderson their movies usually actually lose money at the theaters which is a bummer but um mm. but yeah I, I saw this movie when it came out in theaters and I remember liking it a lot uh but uh, and I probably will have only seen it maybe once or twice since, not including this this last time. And I remember always feeling like very medium on it, like not too hot, yeah. not too cold. And this last time I watched it, this was probably my worst experience viewing it mm. this last time where I kind of just started to see the movie for like, I was just like this. Yeah. To your point, I was like, this is kind of stupid. Like, <laughs> like a yeah. lot of this is just kind of like really stupid in a way that's not that I'm not, it's making me less invested in it. Um, right. But, but I think that like all of Wes Anderson's movies, it has really high highs. Um, so there's like moments in it that I really, really like. And there's ideas in here that I think are really, really good. But, um, but overall, yeah, it's just not really my favorite, and it it misses the mark for me on a lot of levels that I usually come to a Wes Anderson movie for. So, like, you know, it does this movie doesn't necessarily emotionally resonate with me all that well, and that's like one big thing I come to Wes Anderson movies for. Like, even the Fox movie yeah. emotionally resonates with me a little more than this. So. That's not to say we're going to have a bummer time talking about it, because I am excited to discuss it. But, uh, yeah, I think we're both kind of in agreement here that this is just kind of... This is definitely, like... I don't think it's my least favorite. It might be my least favorite, though. I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) I think... I think it might be my least favorite, but that's not to say, yeah, you're right. I mean, there are things that I really like about this movie. Um, You know, I love that we're getting, like... Edward Norton in a... This is the first Edward Norton. Uh Or was he in Fantastic Mr. Fox? No, this is the first Edward Norton. This is the first time... I think the first and last time he uses Bruce Willis. This is the first time he uses Francis McDormand. Yes. Tilda Swinton. Bob Balaban, I think, is... Maybe he was in Life Aquatic, maybe. I don't know. Harvey Keitel. Uh, and these people would go on most of them to do the next movie and the next movie. And I know a lot of them are in the French dispatch. So he gathers a lot of new faces for this film that he's going to use a lot more to come. So, uh, after working on the screenplay for a year, uh, Anderson said he had completed 15 pages and, uh, appealed to his Darjeeling limited collaborator, Roman Coppola for help. Um, they kind of, I guess, it, it. From what I gather, the script is kind of a mix of like personal, you know, experiences from both of them. Mm. Like a- Anderson was a scout, and um, I can't remember if his parents were divorced. It felt like I read that. Yeah. But he he did like a play about Noah's Ark, and um, when he was a kid. When he was a kid, yeah. Ah, okay. Um. But yeah, I don't know. They uh, they spent a, apparently a substantial amount of time for casting uh, Sam and Susie characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anderson expressed uh, apprehension about the process, saying there's no movie if we don't have the perfect kids. Mm-hmm. The auditions took eight months at different uh, eight months at different schools. Um, How do you feel do you... about those kids? <laughs> <laughs> so. 
I, I, um, I don't like. I, I'm trying not to say that I, I, I don't know. I think this movie is like it's just kind of like not for me. Like I was watching these kids and. Like I don't I there's kind of like a smartassness to uh you know Sam mm. and and Sam and Susie mm-hmm. that is similar to you know Schwartzman's character in Rushmore um and I talked about you know in the Rushmore episode about like I don't identify with or relate to you know that character at all and I feel the same way about Sam uh but I'm also like less entertained by Sam. Like I, uh, I don't know. He's kind of like, he kind of annoys me in a, in a way. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, I, I just feel bad about kind of being a grump about this one. But that's kind of the honest truth. What do you feel about Sam and Susie? Well, I like Jared Gilman, who plays Sam, better than I like Kara Hayward, who plays Susie. Like I think he's more electric on screen than she is but maybe it's because they gave him more of a fun character thing to play with like gilman's whole bit is that he's like or sam's whole bit is that he's like acting like he knows all this stuff and that he's such a good boy scout when he's really only just okay at it (laughs) so like he he like thinks he knows more than he really does he's like posturing in a big way Hayward's thing is she's really depressed and prone to violence um, and, and you know, very monotone. Like, she's sort of like what I imagine Gwyneth Paltrow's character in Tenenbaums was as a mm-hmm. child, you know? Mm-hmm. So I guess, like, Kara Hayward, who plays Susie, just kind of comes off as boring a little bit. And then, and then Sam's character ha- did make me laugh a few times throughout the film. But, like... It's it's weird. Like, no one beats Schwartzman, right? Like, Schwartzman yeah. is the most electric. Whether you're not, I think, and I think you kind of said this, but like, whether or not you resonate with the character or not, you got to admit, like, he's just like so charismatic on screen um, as Max. And I think Sam just doesn't quite have that same, um, that same yeah. kind of deal. I think that like, and we're gonna see in Grand Budapest Hotel, the kid in that. Um, they change his character to to be like not like a sassy sort of troubled youth. They change yeah. his character to be like very unassuming and innocent, and I think that works a lot better in Budapest. Having this like kid who's like kind of like doesn't know anything and is being shown the ropes, you know? Yeah, I guess I just I really do think that um, Max is yeah Max Fisher. I really do think Max Fisher is like. Uh, Wes Anderson doing a Holden Caulfield character. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the best that he's going to do it. And it feels like to me, he's like trying to do another Holden Caulfield character. For sure. For sure. And yeah, just, I I don't know. Just, uh, and that's not to say, you know, I, I don't like the actor. Um, I, I I don't know if I've seen him in anything else, but Mm -hmm. you know, it could be the directing or just, um, the subject matter or whatever, but yeah, I don't know. Um, maybe also I'm a 32 year old man. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Well, Uh, but like, I, I, I agree that like, you know, he's the whole thing is like, it's more of a Holden Caulfield character 
than even Rushmore is. Like Max Fisher yeah. is like a com- a really comedic take on a Holden mm-hmm. Caulfield character. This is just kind of like a catcher in the rye vibes. Like it's way you know, like it's way less funny. And I, maybe that's just my problem with it in general. Is that this movie just kind of feels way less funny than all the other ones I've seen. Um, so some other, uh, some other notable pieces of trivia during filming, uh, Wes Anderson rented an old mansion in Newport, Rhode Island for him, uh, the editor, Andrew Weissbloom and uh, DP Robert Yeoman in which they had a room set up for editing the film. Now, did he, um, Yeoman's worked with Wes before this, right? He's worked with him, I think, in every other movie. Every, okay. Yeah. I was going to say, this one it, This one does look really, really good. Oh, um, dude, it looks I mean, it looks amazing. Do, it's also, well, uh, on the same time, though, it does look cheap. Like, the movie does look cheaper to me, notably, than a movie like Darjeeling or Life Aquatic, which is, like, so expensive. This movie is, by the way, his cheapest film, I think, other than Bottle Rocket. Um, and to me, it, it's like, if you just look at like the, the set design, it's mostly all outside, you know, like it just, it's like that kind of thing where it's like not, no, no location seems very expensive to get or rent. There's no like big set pieces really that there's some special effects in it, but even those look really cheap, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. like him jumping over the river, Edward Norton jumping over the river and stuff. Um, going back to the house thing, it was arranged for the cast to stay in a nearby hotel called the Vanderbilt Grace, but eventually some of the cast members decided to stay at the mansion, uh, included Edward Norton and Jason Schwartzman. Murray later joked that the theory was to have everyone close by so that they could uh, all work, quote, ungodly art movie hours. (laughs) (laughs) That's very funny. Yeah. Yeah. the first, uh, the first film without any Owen Wilson involved. I know, yeah, because even the last film didn't have much Owen Wilson, but at least it he was a voice, you know. Yeah, yeah. This is um, no Owen, no Owen. So maybe my theory stands. Maybe my theory that you know, Owen Wilson makes the uh, Wes Anderson movies funnier. I I think so. I also just think like this is this is another movie not unlike um i guess fantastic mr fox where he's like wes anderson is branching out in a way that's like he's now very far away from what i liked about him in tenant Mm -hmm. bombs you know what i mean like this is like this is like way 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 out there which is good I, i like that like i want my directors to always be branching out and always be progressing and like in taking bigger risks and this to me feels like his riskiest film yet i guess the animated film is also pretty risky but like this is about child sexuality and that's just like really hard for a middle-aged man to do as a director like like i remember this film being controversial for its themes and you know if i'm wes anderson i think i would just have been self too self-conscious to make a movie like this because you get like kind of flagged for being creepy a little bit like even like there's even one of these trivia uh entries in in imdb that's like the the dance scene they did they do on the beach in their underwear like it was a closed set i guess to like make them feel more comfortable but it's just the kids the cameraman and 
Wes Anderson. And, you know, you hear something like that and it's like, it's, it's, it's cool that this kind of stuff exists. And I do think like the movies that it's referencing here, like the 400 blows, for example, or melody, I do think those movies are very powerful and have the potential to be really, really good. But again, though, as an adult making films like this, you just, you just run the risk of that, of that creep factor being a part of it or it taking you out of the movie. Like when they're kissing, you know, it's like there's parts of this movie where I'm kind of like, should I be watching this? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I was, yeah, I, I was definitely going to comment on this when we got to it and, you know, might as well do it now. I just, I, I really think, I mean, the dancing scene, um, and any of that, Mm I, 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 don't think I just don't think it's necessary. I don't see why this can't. I you know I'm fine with like a love story with with these kids, kids. but we don't need to see we don't need to see anything. I I really don't think we need to see, we needed the dancing scene at all. Mm-hmm. I really don't. Um, yeah. So it, it, I, that being said, it is. I think it is probably, if not the most iconic scene in the film, one of the most iconic scenes. But like when I think about this movie, I kind of my mind immediately goes to that dancing scene. <laughs> it's like the yeah. thing that kind of stays with you the longest. And you know, there's other stuff too, like when they do the ear piercing moment. Like that's you know that's an that's like a a metaphor for losing your virginity. You know, um, it's like a pokey thing that really hurts and causes bleeding. You know, it's like, it's like, it's like a very, I mean, that's a crude way to describe it, but it, it, a lot of this movie is about losing your virginity and falling in love for the first time and being a young person who's in love. And I just, I just feel like I simultaneously both love that as the subject of a film and, and, but at this movie, I cringe a lot more than I think I would like. I would love, I've liked it to be done. I think a little differently, um so it 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 could get away somewhat from the the child porniness of it um yeah yeah uh so the uh commenting oh yeah okay tying into that commenting on the film's connection to the first time he fell in love anderson said well i wanted to recreate the feeling of that memory the movie is kind of a fantasy that I think I would have had at that age. When you're 11 or 12 years old, you can get swept up in a book that you start to believe that the fantasy is reality. Um, so yeah, I mean, like I get what he, I, I get what he was going for mm-hmm. yeah. with with this. It, it it is it's just kind of interesting, and yeah, I don't know, maybe di- disappointing to me. I think uh, just as a fan of his that this was like what he wanted to do a movie on. Um, yeah. That being said though, there's yeah. like, there's parts of this that I really, really like. Like I love the whole like letters, them writing letters back and forth to each other sequence. I think the whole boy scout thing is like infinitely fascinating. It's yeah. sort of like a, a riff on something he was exploring in the fantastic Mr. Fox, which is like this autumnal, or agrarian sort of like lifestyle of being like Davy Crockett, you know, traveling by Mm -hmm. canoe and like sort of like this, like this American roots sort of DNA. Uh, you know, the, the score is, is, is incredible. The casting is amazing. And a lot of the performances are amazing. 
Um, like there's parts of this I really, really enjoy. And the concept of, of Sam's plight, you know, where he's an orphan whose foster right. parents are giving him away. It's like, it, there's ideas in here that I think are just absolutely fantastic. And the way that it's shot too. Like I love, like for me, that that scene where all of the boys roll up on them and they kind of <laughs> get in that fight and there's yeah. that kid runs away bleeding. To me, that's like iconic. Like I like yeah. I love that sequence. Um ending with the dog being dead from somehow getting hit with the arrow. <laughs> like Right. <laughs> yeah. Which is like what what is this? Wes Anderson's fourth dog he's killed on screen. <laughs> like Yeah. Like he, I guess he has he has some sort of weird obsession with dogs, um, and dog and dog death in 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 particular. But but yeah, there's a lot a lot I really like here. But yeah, I just I it's it's it's, it's something I, I don't know. I, I kept trying to think about it last night. I kept trying to think like, what do I what do I feel about this? How do I think? What do I think about all this French French avant garde film child sexuality stuff? It's like. It's like, I don't know. I guess, thank goodness, there aren't more films like this, so I don't really have to decide how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so diving into the plot. New England, Jeremy. Mm. We're at the island of New Penzance. And a 12-year-old orphan, Sam Shikusky, is attending Camp I- Ivanhoe, a khaki scout summer camp led by Scoutmaster Randy Ward. Yeah, uh, I, I see, counted. I, I, I uh, paused the movie when you first see Sam for the first time, and that is 16 minutes in. So uh, they really, oh, really hold off on on meeting Sam. <laughs> the, the the whole beginning is like it's like showing you the house that Susie lives in, and like that that sort of uh, mm-hmm. Peter and the Wolf music that they're kind of playing with all the different instruments, and and then you meet the entire camp. Uh, first so you meet like all almost all the characters before you meet sam um it's interesting to me that wes anderson uh he he always like picks a a specific like a different location for his films almost and it's interesting to me that he wanted to do one that's in this like new england kind of environment yeah, um, it made me think that he could know, do like cool. a. Yeah, it does look cool. It made me think he could do a very interesting Stephen King adaptation or something. Like this feels like a like a Maine, like this could take place in Maine. You know, oh, all yeah. the stuff with the storm too is really great. Like, mm-hmm. I really feel like you get that sense of dread <laughs> uh, in this movie. It's it's kind of a rare vibe for Anderson. You know. Uh, Susie Bishop, also 12, lives on the island with her parents, Walt and Laura, both attorneys, and her three younger brothers in a house called Summer's End. Uh, Sam and Susie, both introverted, intelligent, and mature for their age, meet in the summer of uh, 1965 during a church performance of Noye Lude. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have no idea. Uh, And become uh, pen pals. What did you think of that scene of, of him sneaking in? to the dressing room. I, you know, I kind of like it, but there is sort of like, uh, it, yeah, I, I guess I kind of like it. I don't know. There's something that, that, that sort of like, uh, 
bothers me about it, sort of, but I can't put my finger on it. But I, I do think it's, I don't know, I, I their chemistry is like, their back and forth there is like kind of interesting and funny. Um, yeah, I really yeah. like, I really like this sequence. I also think like, all the costuming is really on point in this in these scenes where all, like all the kids are dressed up like Noah's Ark animals, mm-hmm. and yes, uh, yeah, like he gets that. he sneaks into the dressing room, and he goes, "What are you?" And then the the girl who he definitely didn't ask just starts explaining who everyone is. He goes, "No, I want to know what are you." <laughs> or what or what bird are you? And he just like points at her. It's like it's like a cool scene. I don't know. I, I really I really liked this scene. Um uh and kind of wish the the movie had more of this vibe of like it's almost like unrequited, you know, unrequited love, but sort of at more of a distance, you know, them them sort of feeling each other out. You know, I and and there's a lot of that in this movie, and and those I think those are the highlights. I think when they're exploring their sexuality is sort of the low moments for me. But um, let's see, the relationship becomes romantic over the course of their correspondence, and they make a secret pact to reunite and run away together. Uh, in September of 1965, they execute their plan. Sam escapes from Camp Ivanhoe while Susie runs away from Summer's End. Uh, the pair rendezvous a hike, uh, rendezvous, hike, camp, and fish in the wilderness with the goal of reaching a secluded cove on the, on the island. Um, yeah, I like all this stuff. I mean, I like... This is what I kind of like thought the movie was gonna be. Like I thought I thought it was gonna be these two like in the in the in the wilderness. Um and they're, you know, kind of a classic like missing uh children kind of a thing. Um Same. survival story. Yeah. And yeah, I do. I, I I like this. I like uh you know I like uh, the, there's uh what is that scene where they're like hanging out at the uh, she's like going through the books that she mm-hmm. likes or whatever yeah. or books and records and it's like incredibly Wes Anderson-y, uh if I can use that term sure um just like tons of inserts and just it, everything's very stylized. I will say like one thing that um kind of like took me out of it a little bit and i mean i guess this is just a wes anderson thing but everything is so clean Mm. these kids are like in the middle of the woods and they're off on their own for the first time and they're like that kid's like khaki scout outfit is pristine yeah it's like pressed perfectly pressed yeah uh yeah i agree it definitely it definitely lives in a world that's unlike our world i think roger ebert i was reading said something similar where he's like if you look at the colors and how everything looks in the film it's very clear that like this is a magical realism type thing that's going on like this is like magical realism basically that that this is not a real place none of these are none of of this is really happening but it is it is in some sort of like wes anderson fantasy land um, that we get the story presented to us, and I don't, I don't necessarily mind that as much. Uh, and I do like this that exchange that you're referring to. Uh, I was very high last night when I was watching it, and I was sitting next to Jackie, who was kind of on her phone doing other stuff. And I was like, 
and I, I saw I saw Susie open up a suitcase or her bag or whatever, and I was just like, I just like paused it. I was like, Jackie, you gotta watch this. This is the part in every Wes Anderson movie where he starts to just just describe items to us, <laughs> <laughs> and like that's the sequence. You know, it's just like Wes Anderson is. Uh, beyond like um, among a lot of things obsessed with just telling you different items what different items are (laughs) right um yeah i mean yeah it's almost like and it feels that way kind of with like some of his music choices and stuff too where he does have really good taste in things but it does also sometimes feel like oh he like knows that it's cool to like like or know about this thing Mm -hmm. And he's like put he like knows that as he's putting that putting that in there. You know what I mean? Like oh, yeah. uh I don't know. And I you know what? I don't fault him for. He's got like a really good taste. Throw as many King songs in there as you want, my friend. Oh, I totally. Know. Yeah. Anything. And like and like he always seems to have a very copacetic like uh art direction and style where like he does he does mash a bunch of things together, but he keeps everything where it all makes sense, you know? Like Right. Like the kinks, like w- why would your film about three brothers traveling through India need the kinks specifically? I don't know the answer to that, but it it, it helps that he keeps it the same throughout. So it's like, you know, so now when I think of the Darjeeling Limited, I think, oh yeah, that's the kinks one. That's the one where he plays mostly kinks music. <laughs> I'm trying to remember what... Um what songs were in this? I'm trying to find a list of 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 of, of what the the soundtrack is from Moonrise Kingdom because I for some reason I can't remember. I remember liking the music. Uh, I remember the song when he's 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 in, they're in the canoe. Um, when we first meet uh, Sam, when he's in the canoe. Um, Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, weird yeah. because with every Wes Anderson movie, there's always like I can always think of like certain like great musical moments, and for some reason, nothing's really coming to mind. Um, in this Who movie, knows? you have the well, like yeah, you definitely have the the old timey like little country folk stuff that they're playing, like when he's in the canoe. The yeah, and then you have um the French sort of pop music that plays like during the dance but mostly you have the alex and then and then of course you have the uh the noise flute or the benjamin um what's his name benjamin he was the benjamin britain Bitten? stuff britain yeah it was all of this existing music from benjamin britain but main but like for me it's all about that alexandre Desplat score i think this this film has the my favorite score of any of the wes anderson films like that like the bells and all the the like like rolling drums and stuff it's like you know it just makes it feel very epic especially in that slow motion scene where schwartzman is taking them to the canoe or to the boat and it's just like bum 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 it's like it's like really big and i i really think that works in this film's advantage makes it feel also very whimsical almost like a tim burton movie or something um meanwhile the khaki scouts have become aware of sam's absence finding a letter he left behind stating he has re uh resigned his position as a khaki scout scoutmaster ward tells the scouts to use their skills to set up a search party and find sam uh ward uh <laughs> I, love, I love the uh the treehouse bit 
with uh, Edward Norton when he's like telling the guy, is that Edward Norton or is that Schwartzman? Who, uh, may, this might be later on in the movie. There's one bit, there's a bit where the one of the scouts builds a treehouse like way too high up. Do you know what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah, oh yeah, it's the very beginning. They're like building a, okay. and he's yes. like, that's too high. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Ward contacts Sam's guardians, the Billingsleys, and learns they are, in fact, his foster parents. And Sam is an orphan with a history of behavioral issues in the home. Eventually, a group of uh, khaki scouts confronts Sam and Susie and tries to capture them. Uh, During the altercation, Susie injures the scouts' de facto leader, Redford, with a pair of lefty scissors and a stray arrow fired by one of the scouts' guardians. kills camp ivanhoe's dog snoopy yes yeah that uh, is um uh that's one of my fa- again i already mentioned it but that's one of my favorite scenes yeah it's really good i think this just like group of <laughs> this like mob of khaki scouts is my favorite uh all of all of the scenes with them is great i like them i they just like they're just disdain for Sam for like no real reason is great. Um, yeah, they're funny. Uh, the scouts flee and Sam and Susie uh, hike to the cove. Oh, by the way, there's a kid. Um, what was he in? Like Ladybird or something? Yeah, there was Lucas a ki- Hedges. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I was like, I recognize that guy. Uh the scouts flee, and Sam and Susie hike to the cove, which they name Moonrise Kingdom. They set up camp, and as the romantic tension between them grows, they dance on the beach and share a first kiss. Um, so I guess we kind of talked about the scene, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Susie's parents, Scoutmaster Ward, the scouts from Camp Ivanhoe, and Island Police Captain Duffy Sharp finally find Sam and Susie in their tent. Uh, Susie's parents take her home. So this is like kind of, this is a big thing for me that I was bummed out about the first time I saw this movie. Um, Yeah, like I said, like, I don't know, I don't remember what the trailer was, but I remember like thinking that this movie was set up like I've mentioned as like a survival kind of thing with this kid, this like boy scout kid. And, um, I just really, uh, it, I was bummed that they like get taken out of that. Like we're like out of, we're like out of that mode, like pretty quickly in this movie. I, like yeah, halfway in. I, I completely agree. It, it, this whole movie should have been, that for the most part and yeah Yeah. now we're just straight up in uh i mean i do like that it becomes a little bit of a jailbreak film let's like you know like them then they all the the kids they turn coat and they're like you know what we need to help sam even though we hate him (laughs) right um but yeah it like kind of takes away the the feeling of like i don't know the woodsiness or the outdoorsiness of it uh, yeah it's almost well, like they ran out like... of ideas or something which is weird cuz i feel like there's a lot more yeah. you, they could have done i just felt like i was uh, up for uh like it just seemed like it was going in the direction of an adventure i was like i'm ready for an adventure adventure and it just turns into like a drama you know yeah um and i wonder if any of that is uh you know cuz uh, 
in the trivia, it said that uh, Anderson wrote the first like 15 pages and then wrote the rest with Roman Coppola. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, those first 15 pages were a lot of, is a lot of that sort of adventure stuff. And then it kind of, and then we kind of get, get taken out of that. So I don't know. I don't know what that's about, but that, that is like a big thing with me with this movie where I'm like, well, this isn't really what I thought I was getting into. Um, but anyway, uh, Ward gives Sam a letter from the Billingsleys stating that they no longer wish to house Sam. Uh, he stays with Sharp while they w- await the arrival of social services as otherwise an otherwise nameless woman who plans to place Sam in a juvenile refuge and explore the possibility of treating him with electroshock therapy. Um, and this is a uh, prequel to Clockwork Orange. Yeah, yeah, or a Cuckoo's Nest or something. Yep. Like, uh, I thought I was pretty shocked by that, but then I kept having to remind myself that it's 1965. Like, it's it's a long time ago, and yeah, that's just might have been how they did it. Ooh, not not great. While contemplating in their treehouse, the Camp Ivanhoe scouts have a change of heart and decide to help Sa- Susie and Sam. Together, they paddle to a neighboring St. Jack Wood Island to seek out the help of Cousin Ben, an older relative of one of the scouts. Uh, ben works at Fort Lebanon, a larger khaki scout summer camp on St. Jack Wood uh, Island, run by Ward's superior commander, Pierce. Um, ben decides to try to take Sam and Susie to a crabbing boat anchored off the island so that Sam can work as a crewman uh, and avoid social <laughs> services. I so I so what do you think of all this stuff? Because I don't like it actually. <laughs> I don't yeah. like like the when they when they go to this new uh, troop and you see like Harvey Keitel and Jason Schwartzman. Like Jason Schwartzman's character is funny, but I'm also kind of like, what is he doing there? Like what? I, I just had yeah. a lot of questions. I was like, what is, what is this a real thing? Like our boy scout troops that, that guy, I, I guess I just didn't really understand. And I, I don't know. I just, I just feel like there could have been more here and there's not a lot to it. I feel like there's supposed to be some sort of humor in like the rift that the this like young love is causing like these two kids are like infatuated with each other and we're seeing like just the I don't know like the force field go- going out of like what what all is uh, who's being affected by it and stuff. I feel like there's like supposed to be some comedy in that almost that there is like so, like all these people are involved just because like these two kids like each other or whatever i don't Mm -hmm, know mm -hmm. um but yeah i agree with you i don't i i I do like schwartzman's character but yeah i i I don't know why we need to be introducing a whole new whole new troop at this point um ben decides to try to take sam and Susie to a crabbing boat uh no we already did that ben performs a wedding ceremony which he admits is not legally binding before they leave uh sam and Susie never make it onto the crabbing boat and Susie's parents captain sharp social services and the scouts of fort lebanon under the command of scoutmaster ward pursue them instead um violent hurricane and flash flood strike uh and sharp 
apprehends Sam and Susie on the steeple of the church in which they first met. Lightning destroys the steeple, but Sharp saves them. During the storm, Sharp decides to become Sam's legal guardian, allowing him to stay on New Penzance Island and maintain contact with Susie. What do you you, you like this uh, the hurricane stuff and the steeple? Uh, yeah, I actually do. I like the I like I like when Bob Balaban comes back as the narrator and he's like starts to yeah. explain more about. I love him, by the way. I love all of that history of the island type stuff um and i do uh, like the the big weather the big climax at the end where you have child services and everybody and then for some reason out of nowhere bruce willis is suddenly holding like a, a bat with a bunch of nails in it <laughs> <laughs> yeah like it's yeah. it's good I, I do like it um but uh yeah uh at summer's end sam is upstairs painting a landscape of moonrise kingdom Susie and her brothers are called uh, uh to dinner while Sam slips out of the window to join Sharp in his patrol car and tells Susie that he will see her the following day. Um, so yeah, that's that's uh, Moonrise Kingdom. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I I mean, it's just this movie to me is just like a, it's just a bunch of stuff that I like that I just don't like how it's all connected. I guess. Um, like I definitely don't mind, I, I don't mind this movie. Um, but it, yeah, like I said, it's just not, it's not one of my favorite, uh, Wes Anderson's. It's actually probably my least favorite, but it's my least favorite movie from what I, who I would consider to be like a very good director. And, um, you know, I think. People, I think there are people that really do like this movie a lot, and I I see why people would like this movie, and there are a lot of things in this movie that I like too, but I think, um, I don't know, maybe my perception of it is just like tainted by what I was expecting and, and what, you know, what I wanted it to be versus what it is, and um, that's kind of part of like, following the career of a of an artist and a filmmaker and whatever and i think you know overall this is a good movie i think i don't know i mean who am i to say uh (laughs) anything but uh i i will say for me personally if we're going out of four chucky freckles Mm -hmm. um let's see here what is I, I I'm looking up the lowest I've given a Wes Anderson movie, and I'll probably give it like point five less than that. Um. Okay. I gave Bottle Rocket a four, <laughs> but that was my favorite. I gave Event Horizon a one out of four. <laughs> Three point two five for its Fantastic Mr. Fox. I'll give this a two point seven five. Nice. You know, actually, two point five. Jeremy, what what about you? I'm gonna give this a two point seven five myself. Um, because I gave Fox a three, and I like this just a little bit less than three. A little bit, yeah. I gave Heart Eight a three. Give like I like this a little bit less than Heart Eight. Um, I for me. 
I really like what this film is trying to do. I guess it doesn't quite stick the landing in the ways that I wanted it to. And I, I do think that it, it's it's tough, right? And the older I get and the farther away from childhood I get, the farther away I get from really relating to this movie or understanding sort of, I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. Because I, I do like coming-of-age movies. And I do like, you know, I, the movie Eighth Grade is a good example of a movie I, I really love and I'm obsessed with. It's about a, a child, you know, in middle school. So I don't... I guess I don't really know. I'm trying to, I was, I'm trying to stay consistent with what I'm saying about it, but at the same, you know, there is just, there's something about it that kind of rubs me the wrong way a little bit. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah. then again, I do think it's very beautiful. And again, high highs, you know, like all Anderson's movies, really high highs at times. So, so yeah, I guess for me, it's a little, I like it a little less than Fox, but, you know, I I'll watch it again. You know, I own it on Blu-ray. I own the beautiful Criterion collection. Oh yeah, was there any features that you dug in? Yeah, I mean, I like the making of segment. There's this really great special feature where, where Bill Murray is very drunk and he takes you on a tour of the set, <laughs> and that's really fun <laughs> and funny. I feel like that's another thing too. Is like Bill Murray like is not given a ton to do in this movie, and um. I feel like they could have done more with his character oh i didn't mention this but i wanted to say like bruce willis is, a, is an actor that i i don't typically love but i think he's great in this like i think he's absolutely spectacular in in moonrise kingdom i love bruce willis and i love edward norton in this movie i think they're both really really fantastic but yeah i mean that's sort of uh that's sort of it the other special features are like you know little interviews here and there little music stuff some music bonus features um but yeah all right so it looks like we're done with moonrise kingdom one more wes anderson in the bank um yeah so i guess next week uh is it it's inherent vice i think right next week should be inherent vice yes oh yeah very excited to talk inherent vice and you know, I haven't seen Phantom Thread since the theatrical release, so I'm excited to to, to dive into that one in a, in a couple weeks. And I believe we have a uh, another um, uh, Resident Evil movie coming up next for Paul W. S. Anderson, or at some point in the future. So stay tuned for all that stuff, Jeremy. Anything you want to plug before we, um, you know, sign off? No, I'm good. All right. Same. Uh, Norma, I'll see you in my dreams. 